This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. So uh, to talk about this, this impermanence that, uh, and how, how uh, enormous this concept of impermanence is in our life. You know, impermanence is, uh, of course, right on the tails of time. Time, time is impermanence, right? It's kind of, if you think about what it would be like if there were no time, we are three-dimensional beings and if there is no time for us to move around in, we are going to be, except actually we won't be because we would never have been able to be born. So actually there would really be nothing here if there were no time. So um, in time being impermanence, we, you know, and this is what Dogen says when he talks about being time or that we are time beings, that we wouldn't exist we are time. That's 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 our our whole um, our whole being is is time. Because we are in the Buddhist way of looking at things, we are just energy flows and we flow through time. But Uchiyama Roshi says, even the tiniest fraction of a second does not rest. It has a before and an after of which it is totally separate. It is con- time is constantly changing. It never stops. So if we could really be fully aware of all how impermanence is is our life, basically, we would be pretty overwhelmed. We'd also be we'd also be enlightened, probably. But um, our culture, as in almost all human cultures, do protect us to some extent from from the rawness of being exposed continuously to our impermanence. You know, uh, you all are familiar with the Buddha's story and how um, the Buddha's father protected him for his whole youth, keeping him inside the castle walls and did not want him to have to be exposed to um, sickness, old age, and death. And I used to wonder, how, how did his father do this? I mean, how, how could you do this? And then you know, thought hit me. <laughs> this is exactly what our culture does to all of us. All of us are are are, are protected very, very uh, strongly from having to see sickness, old age, and death. And I guess I realized this when I read Trumpa Rinpoche's book, Coming Through Spiritual Materialism. We have a long list of all the things in our lives that, that protect us. And, uh, some of them like insurance. We all have all kinds of insurance, housing insurance, car insurance. I damaged my car a few weeks ago and I'm waiting to get it fixed, but I'll, I'll be given a rent car. I won't have to suffer at all for this repair. Well, except for the deductible. But, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Yeah, you can't have protection from impermanence without paying something for it. (laughs) (laughs) So we have all kinds of insurance. And, you know, uh, I think we're moving away from this, and I think it's a good thing, but, you know, funerals, you know, where you go to the the traditional funeral where the body is all dressed up and made up and to look like it's alive. You know, we don't want to see, we want to see dead people. Retirement homes where old people can go and play cards all day, and we don't have to. 
I don't think I don't think it's quite that that way, but you know, we have we have satellite weather satellites. We don't ever have to experience a surprise, you know, surprise weather. I mean, it's getting pretty good. You almost know exactly what's going to happen down to the temperature at four o'clock in the afternoon. And we have um, we go to the grocery store and we buy prepackaged meat, so we don't have to experience the death of animals. It's all nice and sanitized for us. You know, anybody have any other things that come up about how they're protected from Manisha? Manisha, yeah, this is kind of extreme, but I have a friend who works in places where very, very sick and disabled children mm. are sent to be cared for, and she said that often their parents stop coming to see them because it's just too painful to be around them and yeah. staff cares for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a friend that used to work in Ash or you know, Austin State Hospital and talked about, you know, she couldn't move or just stayed in a chair all day long. Thank you. Yeah. So we don't we don't have those people out where we can see them. Painful. Uh, and I know, yeah, so uh, when I first heard that, you know, this, these sayings about how impermanence was everything and impermanence, and I was uh, new to Buddhism, uh, I, I didn't really get it. I mean, yeah, yeah, maybe I'm going to have a new boss or change jobs sometime or. You know, go on a trip, and I could see these kind of really uh, ways that my life changed. But, but the moment by moment, or the the everything of it, no, not not even I couldn't I couldn't really see that. It took it took a while. But as you grow older, as you grow older, it, it's uh, impermanence becomes very very obvious and. When you get to my age, which is 75, uh, I, I wasn't prepared for how fast time goes when you get old. And it's almost like you can almost see it just coming at you. You know, it's like this big river of, of change. And I'm standing in the middle of it. And all these things are flowing by, you know, not to mention people that pass away and friends that we lose, either because we get out of contact with them or they pass away, household items that we grew up with that are gone, things that wear out, our clothes. I mean, if you ever think back to the clothes you've worn through your life, you know, it's, it's a, a pretty interesting exercise. And, you know, the the changes you see all around you. Have, this is a very good city to see permits because it's such a fast growing, vibrant place. And you drive by a place and see a new building and I can't even remember what was there before, but if I could remember, I'm sure that I would remember passing by it every day and now it's not there anymore. I don't even know what's gone. There's a sort of a sadness about it. I, I know that I used to like to go to Howard's nursery on 2222 near Guadalupe and it was a great old place, an old guy named Howard ran it, and he had all kinds of old antique lawn ornaments, and, you know, it was just a, a wonderful place to go and browse, and now it's a you know, six-story condo uh, ground floor retail place that's just 
right up to the pavement. There's no uh, nothing natural there anymore. And you know, it feels sad to, to go by and see those things. I remember bonsai that used to be on Lamar and now it's a Rudy's barbecue. And um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a sadness. And so um, there's lots of sadness in, in all this, in all this impermanence that's floating by us. But our youth, our youth keeps disappearing, our former lives, you know, we all have many lives, right? And those lives are, are gone, never, never to come back. And uh, many times the people that we knew in those lives, we don't have contact anymore. So, you know, sadness. I can't, I really can't imagine getting old without having had this practice. I really can't. Because I don't know, there's just so many people that can't adjust to all the impermanence and when it gets faster and faster and they're older and older it's it's got to be really painful and i I'm, i mean i know that there's a lot of people that are just become more and more miserable the older they get so if you're not old yet of course I hate to remind you, but you know, it's, it's constantly happening. But you know, frequently when we're younger, we really don't think too much about what it's like to be old. We try not to think too much about impermanence. But um, of course, one way that we can always be in touch with it, and I guess that's our and that's our training actually, is to sit still for thirty-five minutes and be aware of the all the comings and goings in your own body, all the different sensations that you feel and how one minute you feel pain here and the next minute that's gone, but you feel pain over this knee feels painful or maybe you have the pain is all gone. It's, it's just constantly changing. And your mind, what's the thoughts that are coming across like little white clouds in your mind or blue sky mind or different you know, moment to moment. And so it's, it's a wonderful, learning experience to keep to to get very familiar with that in in impermanence in that way and I, that's our traditional way of, of, of learning to face it and accept it yeah you think of your life like a movie i always love uh Tokyo Henkel's uh, idea or his presentation about emptiness how Emptiness is the white screen. The movie is projected on this, this white screen. We're usually pretty oblivious to the white screen. The movie totally engrosses us. And a movie never stops. The pixels never stop streaming. Um, and, so, and so our lives. So the uh, impermanence is this source of this source of pain. Um, Grief and loss. That's why the first, that's where the first, what the first noble truth means. Life is the suffering of impermanence, and we can't avoid that kind of impermanence. We can't, we can't avoid that. But we have to remember that also impermanence is also uh, means that something new is happening, and that something, and that there's. There's always something new, and there's always something uh, that could be joyful and free. And we can 
we can transform that fear and sadness. We can transform the fear and sadness that goes along that we add to our, um, our, <coughs> suffering, our suffering of important impermanence. Impermanence. We can we can uh, transform a lot of the the uh, mental suffering that we add to uh, impermanence into joy and freedom. So grief. You know, we had a workshop last week on grief. We dive in. The cause of grief is impermanence, as we all know. Uh, I think many times we think that we're grieving for the one who passed on. We don't really think that's really what's happening. The grief we feel is grief we feel because of change in our life. So we lose a beloved parent who was uh, meant a lot and still does mean a lot to us and is part of our life and is part of our daily thought. And now they're gone, you know, never to return. When we grieve, uh, when we mourn a, 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 a death, it's not so much the dead person that we're mourning because they're They've moved on to the other shark. That death caused a change in my life. And I know Joel's cat died. Was it Thursday? So the cat that you saw, I imagine he and Mako saw every day and brought joy and beauty and all the other things that cats bring, like hairballs and <laughs> kitty litter boxes and all that. Oh, wow. And um, it's irreparably gone. And it's, it's just hard and sad to um, have to change, uh, to experience that change in our life. So we can't really speak of change also without the sadness for sure, but also fear. Fear is... Uh, Fear and sadness are probably our two basic emotional experiences. Fear is very natural. It's natural to have fear when things change. It's, it's how we keep alive. If we didn't have fear, we've got to be very thankful for fear. Without fear, we would probably long ago, long ago have um, been eaten by a tiger or knocked down on a, by a car, a speeding car or whatever. So. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid of fear. Pema Children says, uh, says, sometimes fear is simply a natural reaction to moving closer to the truth. So in other words, it's the facing of fear that's important, not, not feeling fear. So fear of fear is, fear of fear is one of those added on sufferings. And the, this pain, if you use the word pain to mean the, the pain of um, impermanence, it's something we can't really avoid. But that second arrow, we can learn 
to avoid. That's what the Four Noble Truths teach us, that there is a way past suffering. So, um, so this is where flee, freeze, and, and uh, flow come in. So we are afraid of fear, we are afraid of sadness, and we want to get, we want to get away. We want to get rid of it, gone. We don't want to face it. So we flee. Sometimes we flee into our habitual places of escaping. We flee. We go to denial. We just get really, really busy with our jobs. We stay kind of noisy. Because uh, silence is a little scary when we're trying to avoid fear and fear and sadness. Silence is scary. Come right up there, right in your face. So um, stay noisy, stay busy, uh, doing anything to avoid experiencing the the now, the now of our fear and sadness. The now is the is our life. The now now is well, we kind of use the word the present moment to kind of represent the now, but now is where we live. And that's, uh, and we want, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be there when these, when these bad things happen to us. But our practice is to stay, you know, and I love that um, cartoon of the two dogs on the bulletin board, two dogs saying, one dog says, saying to the other, the key to meditation is learning to stay. So we stay. And, uh, but then we have another problem. We have another thing that we like to do. We like to freeze. We like to just freeze up. And, um, so we stay. We stay on the brink of this, uh, brink of this big, you know, say we have, we have a disaster that happens and we, we stay there, but we're frozen. We're, we're frozen in fear. Frozen in fear is one of the things we do to kind of help not feel sadness. So we come up with something to be angry about. You know, many times I know people whose parents have died and they're very angry at the hospital. That seems to and sometimes it's probably deserved, but you know, many times it's inevitable and it's just a way, a way to not face the sadness. So, so we come up, we, we, we freeze and we come up with a bunch of fixed ideas to river, this big river flowing of impermanence and we're grabbing hold of the tree something that we can hold on to but you know if you're a kayaker or a canoeer you know what happens when you grab onto a tree if you're in some fast moving water uh -uh, not good I, I lost a camera that way once and another time i fell out of my boat and was on the other side of the big river from my friends and had to swim across it and it was yeah wasn't sure I'd make it. Um, another thing we do to uh, cover up is we start planning. 
We're going to make sure this does not happen again. Or if it does, we're not going to feel this way next time. So we plan. We plan like crazy. And, uh, you know, of course, planning is always a good thing to do, as long as you don't attach too much to the outcome of it. But none of that stuff works too well, freezing and fleeing. What about fighting? <laughs> that works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there's another F word, isn't it? <laughs> or that one. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't seem to work too well either. Uh, how are we going on? Um, so yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I should have included that. My word this. Sometimes um, denial is fighting. What is sometimes I think denial is fighting. yeah, or an anger or denial. Yeah, yeah. mixed idea that, that's come up. So kind of a, a way to freeze. And so what do we want to do? Well. The idea was to go with the flow, to go with the flow of the change. And, you know, whenever we do that, right, whenever we let go, it usually feels really good. It really does. So we want to fall back into that river that's rushing at us and let go of the grasping onto the tree, you know, open up that hand of the open up the hand of thought that she talks about. Because right in the middle of these dangerous situations, we need to live. That means we need to be in the now. We need to let go of anything that's a barrier to being right here and right now. Another F word. Oh, good. What? <laughs> feel. Feel. To feel. feel and flow. We want to feel and flow. Okay, this is getting longer. <laughs> so I'm going to close um, with um, a quote from um, Pema Chodron. I got I got really uh, sort of intimate with Pema Chodron preparing for this talk because it seemed like the one book title that seemed to go along with what I was talking about was uh, when things fall when things fall apart. Well, it turns out that book, uh, which I wasn't familiar with, is uh, really a collection of many Dharma talks that she gave over a 10-year period. And the first one is on fear, and the second one is the Dharma talk called When Things Fall Apart. So it was, uh, you know, it was a, short, a short reading. Um, but in that, in that chapter, she says, well, I, I, mean, I meant I brought her up because I wanted to say a few things about uh, about her um, that you, so many of you probably already know. But in that chapter, she described um, what happened to her when she was, I'm not sure how old, um, but her husband, uh, well, she was standing outside on a beautiful day in her home in New Mexico. And her husband pulled up and announced to her completely out of the blue that he was leaving her and wanted a divorce. And uh, it's really marvelous the way she described this. And I, 
I didn't bring the book with me. I might read it, but she just describes all the things that were going on around her, all the sounds she heard, the cicadas, the, um, she describes the sound of the car when it pulled up. I mean, just, it was um, you know, an amazing snapshot of what we do when something really shocking and horrible happens, how we just are totally there. Uh, and, um, yeah. So this quote has to do with that. She says, impermanence becomes vivid in the present moment. So do compassion and wonder and courage. And so does fear. In fact, anyone who stands on the edge of the unknown, fully in the present without reference point, experiences groundlessness. That's when our understanding goes deeper, when we can find that the present moment is a pretty vulnerable place. And that this can be completely unnerving and completely tender at the same time. And so that was coming up. And for a shorter, shorter representative, that is from Leonard Cohen in his song Boogie Street. He says, you lose your grip and then you slip into the mystery. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, that, that brings me to the end of anything I have to say um, right now. But if there's any comments or questions, I'm here for them. Sherry. So, this is a song I really like. It's by Atlanta Morrison called Thank You. I don't know if anybody knows that, but she. I'm gonna. Uh, can you? Thank you. She says. Oh, thank uh, you. Thank you. Impermanence. Thank you. Uh, silence. Thank you. India. Thank you. Terror. Um, when I listen to it, I, I just like, why would you thank somebody for terror? But she, the final thing is, you know, death shouldn't be equated with stopping, um, because. Life is a flow of connection. And uh, and if you stop and look at that flow, like Junio Suzuki got this thing going. And he's still here if you think of the flow as a whole organism moving. And so there's no stopping. It's all a mind thing that we think of, like, oh, he's no longer here. Or, my mother's not here. When I hear a favorite song that comes on the radio, I go, oh, I can see her face smiling and enjoying that. And, the, and so she's alive right in that moment. So yeah, it's your perspective on death and it's not stopping. Beautiful, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah. Manisha, <laughs> good job. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to say that for me, sometimes it is very hard to kind of just look and validate my feeling and move on. Um, but I found that in this community, when I share it with someone and they give a really strong validation to what I'm feeling, it is really easy for it to pass through me. And I think it has to do with like, when I'm like brewing it on my own, I'm kind of disconnected, but sharing it and having someone else see it it's kind of like 
like helps it let go. And I do want to be able to do that better for myself, but I also just like see how important like the Sangha and the Dharma are to like this practice. So, like you just can't just do it alone in a bubble. Yeah, that's my thing sometimes to me that seeing inside my little head being a, like really disasters and, and I and get out with some other people and all of a sudden all of that is coming. It's just gone. So thank you. Can I ask you a question too? Sorry. Um, I just have noticed that you uh, have a really strong commitment to this practice, which has lasted many, 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 many years. And I know for myself, I kind of have like so many changes in my life, like places I've moved and places I've been. And like after a couple months, I get sick of one thing and I move on to the next. And I wonder like, is that like commitment to this group of people in this place something that just comes naturally to you? Or is it something that you've cultivated commitment and just like what your thought on commitment is well i wish i could take credit and say i'm this really saintly person <laughs> <laughs> we already know that you are <laughs> but i mean to be frank a lot of it is fear of of doing something different, you know? Yeah. Like I'm the kind of person that goes to a restaurant and orders something I really like, and the next time I go, I can't even think about ordering something different. I gotta have that thing I really liked before. <laughs> so that's part of it. I mean, you know, and 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 I guess just sort of seeing that, well, I guess I can, I, I do have the ability to see that if I, I guess I've been pretty good at being able to see two sides, you know, the upside and the downside of most things. So maybe that's my talent that helps me stay because I can see that, well, if I, maybe if I pick a different religion or something, I can say, well, yeah, it would do this, but it would also do this. And I might as well just stay here. Right. I, I mean, my staying here is also, I mean, I've lived in the same house since 1990, and I, for a long time, when I retired, it was from the job that I'd had for how many years? I started that job in 1990, and it lasted until 12, so 22 years in the same job. So, I mean, that just seems to be my tendency <laughs> to uh, stick it out. It's paid off. I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. I'm, also I, also, I don't like to have to deal with um, uprooting and, you know, and the energy of upsetting yourself and going somewhere and doing something different. I, I'm sort of lazy about that. I don't like to have to face all that. So, so it's, it's a combination of things. I think though it's interesting. I maybe can relate to your staying in place i've done a lot of that in my life but everything is changing around you you can really see how much things change when you're just i mean not that i stay the same but yeah right yeah yes you don't have to do a lot to change your life it will change automatically yeah <laughs> Saying, I'm saying. Stand a little bit on this notion of groundless 
Is it something like a feeling that you've ever experienced before or something that you can describe in words or? Me personally experience brownlessness. I'm gonna open that up to anyone else that can describe brownlessness, but well, I okay. I mean, I, I think I probably experience some groundlessness just about every day, and probably you do too, right? You know. Um, I I remember when I retired, I felt very groundless for not, not that long, but even though I thought I prepared for my retirement, I had all kinds of hobbies and things I was going to keep doing. But when I retired, somehow everything seemed to change. Things I was interested in doing before, I didn't want to do anymore. And uh, so even though I had plans, I still felt like, like, what do I get up for? What, what am I going to do? Uh, a day without any plans? Ooh, I, I, yeah. yeah, I used to have a lot of trouble with any, any, any day where I didn't have any plans. I, I felt that. No, if I didn't have anything to do. Now I'm really happy when I'm on a day like that. But um, so that's not very dramatic, but that's something I can think of. What about you? Can you think of some? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I feel the opposite of groundlessness uh, quite constantly, where I feel like uh, I feel like this illusion of, uh, or I fool myself into believing that things are grounded uh, and um, fixed ideas. yeah fixed ideas yeah uh, without the notion of groundlessness i wouldn't have noticed that in the first place yeah wow i talks really well about that is Trump from I mean, he can really explain what it, what it feels like to, um, and, and how we how we grab onto you know, any idea we can. And we do it fairly successfully, too. You know, we really convince ourselves that everything is comfortable. Oh, hey, hi, Amit. Do you have advice or words of encouragement on how to feel and flow more often than recently? Do you have like concrete advice? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, I could do the advice. <laughs> 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 that will always work. What did you say? So that will always work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what will always work? The advice. Oh, oh, the advice. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I mean, that's what what do, what do Zen people say? They say you just sit more, sit with <laughs> 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 it, you know. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I mean, that is really, I think, where the source of. Of learning to let go comes from is is doing uh, as much meditation as you can. Um, 
uh, I think, I mean, the, the pure way, the pure way to be in the present moment, to be in the now, Sherry was kind of getting at um, um, the idea of when you brought up that all that about how everybody's still really with us, and you know, because in the in the realm of of uh, the absolute, you know, really is timeless. There's no time. So any any and now is eternity. So everything is one there. Um, uh, the, I don't know any other way to reach that, but through meditation. But I mean, I think there are other ways. But for, that's my experience, you know, is, is to, to you know, <laughs> and uh, I've experienced something maybe a little bit close when I do long retreats. But I'm a big long retreat sort of person. You know, not everybody. But I think taught a while back, and I forget what it was called, but it was a, a way of running meetings where instead of talking about problems, you think about what you want to see happen. And I've used this in my own life, especially with relationships with people, maybe somebody that I'm building a whole bunch of ill will towards or some kind of barrier, and I think, what would it be like if we held hands and were friends or went out to dinner together? What would that be like? And you know, so... Um, you know, playing around with you know, you know, your mind also is helpful. So I don't know if that's exactly the flow thing that we're talking about, but it does help us not maybe be so afraid of the future. Did you? Oh, there's a comment um, here. I think it's Bruce who says, Chogim Trungpa, quote, the bad news is you're falling through the air, nothing to hang on to, no parachute. Good news is there's no ground. That's right, groundlessness. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> also, I, I wanted to say something about what Sherry brought up and um, the this um, what impermanence also allows is we get to see that we are not who we think we are, right? That we actually include everything. So I can say from this last week with Lucy's passing, since Joel's cat of 18 years, the feeling is, I mean the having an 18 year long relationship builds so many like neural connections. There's a whole like bodily part. I mean, I mean, you say to say a part is like, you know, doesn't do it justice at all. But it's like, uh, you know, where does Joel begin and Lucy begin or end? Like, where do they like, and then to have that, that relationship end suddenly, there's it's not like d death isn't the end. It's, a transformation right so but it feels like a, a part of you has been ripped out right just feels like that's just it's just gone and and yet you turn towards the grief when you allow something that's it's not like something's wrong with grief grieving is beautiful it allows you to open your heart and it feels like you're dying you know, you're responsible for, you have to do, 
as opposed to just allowing what's happening to happen and just to be fully present to it. So if you're talking about coming back to sitting, that's what we do when we sit. This is this is what it's like when you're not head teacher anymore. <laughs> 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 Beautiful things like that and help help out. I, I feel like my talk was so dry I couldn't really I wasn't really able to get any juice and there you couldn't you guys are all putting a lot of juice. Just over here in the corner. There's some more juice. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say that um, I want to thank you for your talk and also say that you know cultures we call sometimes traditional cultures uh, around the world and through time have always had rituals to mark these events that happen to all of us, whether it's birth or partnering, you know, in a, in a relation, a committed relationship, um, reaching maturity and becoming and taking your place in the community, um, rites of transition, and death is a biggie, um, and if you look at the structure of these independently evolved, you know, uh, rituals, they death takes place over a long period of time. You know, the way we, the way different cultures handle the body, what they do with the body. There's some cultures where they bring the bodies out every year and dance with them, and then rewrap them and put them back in the tombs. They, they're these people are present. They remain present, but even in our, you know, some of our Western traditions, it's not so long ago for a year. You know, it's like it doesn't. You don't snap your fingers, go back to work, and everything is healed over. You know, um, so I think that the idea of the support that we can have through various kinds of practices and you know taking care of these events. And when we're cut off from those, we really suffer. I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. so, so. Okay. And Marco's not dead, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so important to be able to say goodbye and say, and, and just pay homage to the, the life. Oh, Rich, yeah, I'm sorry. I noticed you had your hand up earlier. I just wanted to say thank you for that wonderful talk. And um, I really liked your story about the owls. <laughs> okay. And, um, you know, I think that's, I think something about impermanence is also noticing, being aware of the changes, like, oh, there's new life in my environment. And I, it's, it reminds me of what I heard uh, Shinri Suzuki or Suzuki Roshi say about someone asked him, what do you want for your students? And he said, I want them to hear the birds sing. Mm. You gotta be, you know, so I think that's, I think that would, thank you for the, your, your talk. Yeah.